And open your Bible, if you will. Turn around there and pick it up. The book of Luke, chapter number 4. The book of Luke, chapter 4. And the title today is This Present Crisis and the Power of God. This Present Crisis and the Power of God. I'm reading beginning in Luke chapter 4 and verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And the word wrath there has the idea of rage, uncontrollable rage. They've lost their tempers, if you will, with hatred. And they rose up, and they thrust Jesus out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine. Here's the text. His word was with power. For his word was with power. The present crisis and the power of God. Thank you, and you may be seated. I decided this week I would interrupt the series that I was doing on the laws of the harvest, the sower. And I want to preach on that. I'll finish that up in due course of time. But I tell you, I began thinking about what I'm going to preach to you about next Sunday, tonight after this service. And it will dominate my thoughts through much of the week because right now I feel like every single service is so absolutely consequential. It's more than important. It matters. I have not ever said that to you before, but I really feel that at this time. I feel that because America's in a crisis. America is in a crisis. I think people know that. I don't know how much they want to think about it. It's probably better in some, time, in some cases if they don't think about it. This is the most unusual time I've ever lived in. I mean, there's nothing begins to even compare to it. There was a short period after 9-11 when we were very concerned about the country. And I remember the riots back in 1967 or 9, whatever that was, 1967, I guess. America looked like it was coming apart at the seams. Cities were burning then and lots of problems. But I've never seen anything like this because this is going on and on and on and on. It really started at the end of February, and now it's gone on for like six months or more. So words come to my mind to describe this present time, words like momentous, words like historical, words like crisis. Crisis has become the new norm, as people say today. And that's true on so many different fronts. If it were just one thing, then I could, you know, it, it wouldn't grip me like it does now. But 
when I see all of the different fronts on which that crisis is appearing. Now, a lot of people sleep through the great events of history. They're so insensitive to what is happening in the world around them that things just happen that people will read about in history books 100 years from now, and they just scoot through them. They don't even seem to have any awareness of the importance of what is happening. Hear me well today, folks. We're in a crisis. This is not normal times. We're in a present crisis. And I believe God is trying to speak to America through some of the events that are occurring. And sometimes God whispers. And sometimes he cups his hand and he shouts. And America, God is shouting at America today. All week long, you've heard Franklin Graham advertising on television, promoting the prayer meeting that was held yesterday on the Washington Mall in downtown Washington there. And I watched just a brief glimpse of it, but it was a, it was a great encouragement to people because tens of thousands of people had come from all over America to just simply walk a mile and a half round or so there and to stop at various historical places and pray, and just simply pray for the country, just to ask God to come and visit us. In the articles promoting that, Franklin had said numerous times to the country, he had said, America is going to end as we know it if God doesn't do something. Our only hope is God. Now, you come to church and you probably expect to hear that, but I want it to ring in your ears all week long. I want you to understand no truer words, in my opinion, were ever spoken. America's hope is in God. America's hope is in the power of God. And God help us that we don't have so much unbelief gripping our minds and hearts that we don't think that he can actually intervene and do something about what is happening. We have a pandemic Six or seven million people across the world, uh, 200,000 plus deaths in America. We have a health crisis. It's a crisis. A lot of people blow it off, say there's nothing to it, but uh, go up and talk to some of the people at uh, McLeod Hospital. They'll tell you if, something, if there's something to it. And then 2020 has brought one natural disaster after the other. Now, God controls the wind and the storms and the earthquakes, and God controls everything. A leaf doesn't fall off of a tree or a hair out of my head, but God knows about it, right? Do you believe that today, church? So these things happen. These, we call them natural disasters. But God permits those things. Yes, they operate according to certain natural laws, but God allows those things, or certainly He could stop them. And so we've had, in, we've had more hurricanes and tropical storms than we've ever had. They've run out of the names in the alphabet. They're now down to the Greek alphabet, several places down in it, to name these tropical depressions and storms that are coming across. They don't all come to America, of course. They're worldwide. But uh, we had two major ones hit the United States. The highest wind speed ever before recorded 
hit Louisiana, and it's, parts of Louisiana are devastated. The power is still not on. Four weeks later, the entire power grid has been destroyed, and it, it's, 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 a, it's a total devastation down there. And then you had a major hurricane hit over in Mississippi, Alabama, uh, western Florida. And then you go up to the northern Midwest, and you have this deratio, this straight wind, this straight line wind that came. And it, comparable to a Category 2 hurricane, they tell us. The wind's above 100 miles an hour. And it's destroyed crops and farms and cities up there. And we never even heard about it. I mean, I don't know what the news was covering, but it was not covering uh, a major, major catastrophe up there. They say a billion and a half dollars worth of damage in some of those northern Midwestern states. And so now you have the wildfires in the West. Seven or eight states, their forests are engulfed in, in, in wildfires. And then that's not all. You have a deeply divided nation right now, politically and racially and, and, and spiritually. We have a, a group of a large number of people in this country. They are very serious about overthrowing our government, our social order, and creating socialism and communism and, and atheism and all those things that we've read about we thought could never happen in this country. And I, I, I don't know that they have the power to do that, but I know they have the power to make the whole country miserable in their pursuit of it. And, the, and, and I, would, I would like to see the, the authorities in these places clamp down on this stuff and stop it. I mean, how many, how many cities have to be burned out? How many places have to be looted before it becomes, before it grabs the attention of the nation? And then, uh, of course, we have a, a big anti-police movement. And we're talking about defunding police. Well, we need more police, not less police right now. It looks to me like this country. And then we've had something else. And, and you're thinking about all this stuff swirling around right now. And we've had one of the most prophetically significant events, I think, in my lifetime. And it's that the nation of Israel and, and, and our president and, and some of our leadership worked to create, a tre uh, to create a treaty between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and, uh, and also... Uh, What's the other country? Bahrain there. And, and so we now have Arab countries signing peace treaties with the Jews. And eight or nine more countries, they say, are lined up getting ready to do this. I talked to a Jewish friend in Israel the, uh, this week, and he told me, he said, they've locked us down again, but people are jubilant. They're absolutely euphoric at the thought, because these Arab countries now are talking about building a railroad all the, all, the, uh, all the way across Israel. Israel will permit them to do it. And then they'll be able to put all their goods that they would like to trade and, and, and so on into Europe. They'll be able to send it right across Israel the short way instead of going all the way around the Horn of Africa and the Suez Canal. And they'll be able to ship all this stuff directly to Tel Aviv and the port there, Haifa, put it on a boat, send it up to Europe, and it'll just be like one day, a day and a half, two days trip. And uh, it will increase trade, and there will be peace, and there will be prosperity. And he went on and on and on. 
And I said to him, you know this is prophetically significant, don't you? And he said, uh, no, I didn't know that. What, what are you talking about? And I said, well, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it also says there will come a time when Israel will think they have peace, and they will cry peace and safety, and sudden destruction will come. And they'll be living in the land of unwalled villages, meaning the guard will be down. There will be uh, the defenses will not be up. The, the unwalled village means the place where we were taking for granted our security and our safety. So you have all of these things. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to be a downer, but the other side of it is I must preach the truth. I must preach the truth. And you know, I could add to that the open hatred for Christianity. There's a, a, a vast segment of our society today that is totally opposed to what we are and who we are, the open opposition to Christianity. Seven, eight, ten governors have declared that churches are not essential. Not essential. Never in all of history, back to the time of Christ, has anybody used the term non-essential in reference to a church. Our religious convictions are the glue that holds the rest of life together for us. And non-essential? I guess you watched the news this week. A group of people, a group of Christians gathered in Moscow, Idaho. looked like Russia before it was over, but it was Idaho. You know what they're doing? They're out in a park. They're singing hymns, singing hymns. They're spaced apart, singing up into the open, fresh Idaho air, singing praise to God. And the police come at the behest of the mayor and handcuff three of the leaders and carry them off to jail. And you see it on the camera hostility to Christianity. The Supreme Court nominee the president offered yesterday at 5 o'clock, by 7 or 8 o'clock last night, she was being attacked for what? Because she's incompetent? No, her religious beliefs. Because she's a religious woman, one of them, the senators, had told her when she was confirmed before, the dogma lives deep within you, doesn't it? Meaning, your worldview is obviously shaped and informed by your religious beliefs. We boast of that. We, we, we say this is, this is the way it should be. We look at the world through the Christian lens. I'm trying to impress upon you the solemnity, the hour in which we live. It was 1844, the country was in crisis then. And a poet, back then they took poets pretty seriously, unlike our culture today. His name was James Russell Lowell. Perhaps you had to memorize a piece of this in grade school. But it's one of the most beautiful poems, I think, that's ever been written. And James Russell Lowell wrote it because the crisis at that time was slavery, and looming on the horizon was the Civil War. And listen to his words. Once 
To every man and nation comes a moment to decide, the day of decision. In the strife of truth with falsehood, and truth and falsehood lies have always been in conflict, have they not? And he says, for the good or evil side, truth forever on the scaffold. The scaffold is the place where the man who is being hanged stands before they open the trap door, and he drops to his death. Picture truth with a rope around its neck, the door about to be tripped, and truth about to be hanged, destroyed. Truth forever on the scaffold. Wrong forever on the throne. The throne is in control. The throne is power. In other words, wrong has the power, and truth is being persecuted for the power. But then he goes on to say, yet the scaffold is what sways the future. And behind the dim unknown, the events that we don't understand, stands God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. In other words, even in the conflict of truth and falsehood, God is in control. Amen? God is in control. Is he in control this morning? Is he in control in your life? Is he in control of this world and America? Yes, he's in control of all of it. Jesus said, a hair from your head doesn't drop, but he knows about it. A leaf doesn't fall off of a tree. But I think that the almighty, infinite intelligence of this universe knows all about it, and he knows about our present crisis. So where do we go in a time like this? Where do we go? And so we go to the Word of God. We go to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who could speak words that had such power they could control anything that he chose to speak about. Now, I'm preaching through the book of Luke on Wednesday night. Boy, I'd like to see some more of y'all come on Wednesday night. I'd like to see us pack this place out as best we can and spill it over into the next room like we've been doing on uh, Sunday nights. I'd love for you to come and go through and explore the book of Luke, the great, great gospel of Luke with me. And we're down to chapter number four on Wednesday nights. And so as I was studying for this past Wednesday, I came to this portion and I thought, man, I've just got to preach on that. And it's in Luke chapter 4, and in chapter 3, you see, Jesus was baptized. And in chapter 4, then, he he goes out, and he's tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. We've gone through all of that in our study thus far. And then in chapter 4, he begins his public ministry down there when he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, verse 16. He goes to the synagogue. They hand him the scroll because he's a member of the synagogue and he's a well-known guest visiting in the synagogue that day. And they hand him the book and it's open to the Isaiah chapter 61 and he reads the words there that describe the Messiah. And then when he closes the book and hands it to the minister of the synagogue, the attendant, he says to the people, Today, you have seen the fulfillment of this scripture. What was Jesus saying? He was claiming that he is the Messiah. He was claiming, I am God. 
He was claiming deity. And they became so enraged, as I've already pointed out to you down there in, um, in verse number uh, 28. They were filled with wrath, with rage. And they took him to the edge of the city, and they were going to throw him off of a cliff there, and they were going to kill him in his hometown. First time he shows up after he, has, after he begins his ministry there. And he just walks through the crowd. The power of Jesus Christ. He didn't have to touch anybody. He didn't have to say anything to anybody. But he was not ready to die. And so his amazing, almighty, eternal power, he just walks through the mob that is there about to kill him. And he goes down to Capernaum about 12 or 14 miles away, and he moves his headquarters to Capernaum rather than to Nazareth, his hometown. He said to them, a prophet is not recognized in his own town, and so I'm going somewhere else. Now, when he gets to Capernaum, in verse number 31, read with me, he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he taught them on the Sabbath day, and they were astonished, astonished, the idea of amazed. I mean, they were, they were just, they were overwhelmed at his teaching, for his word was with power. Underline that in your, in your verse there. His word was characterized by what? By supernatural power, charged, if you will, with power. And he spoke, verse 33, in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean devil, and he cried out with a loud voice right in the middle of Jesus' preaching. He said, let us, plural, meaning more than one demon in him, let us alone, what do we have to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that you, who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him. He said, hold your, hold your peace and come out of him, demon. And when the devil had thrown him down in the mist, he came out of him and he heard him not. The power of Jesus Christ. Even he had power over demons and over devils. He demonstrated that power when he cast that demon out of that man. What is a demon? We've covered this before, but it's worthy of note. Demons are former angels. They're the fallen angels that when the Lord created the angels, and angels were created, they didn't exist eternally. The, the Lord created the angels, and you remember that the archangel Satan, the devil, rebelled against him, and he led one-third of the angels, according to the book of Revelation, in a rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these angels follow Satan. Now, what is an angel? An angel, according to Hebrews, is a, quote, ministering spirit. They don't have a body. They, you know, you see the artist depictions with the two, uh, the two wings and all that kind of stuff, but angels don't have a body. Angels are spirit beings. You don't see them. They're invisible. They're a spirit substance, not physical. And they follow Satan. They are absolutely committed to evil, 
to wickedness, to oppose the cause of Jesus Christ. Angels can possess a human body as they did to this man. They can so take over that person that that person can no longer control themselves. And so Jesus is teaching here in the synagogue, and suddenly there's a disturbance, there's an interruption. This man stands up and begins to holler out in the middle of of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And of course, the angels do know who he was, who he is. And what did Jesus do? He rebuked the spirits that inhabited that man that have such power. He rebuked them. And you know what? He didn't have a five-hour exorcism. He didn't have a talisman or a rabbit's foot or something magic, a horseshoe or a tarot card. He simply spoke. His word is with such power that that man fell down and those demons left him and exited the scene. Jesus has power over demons. Now, demons cause evil. And evil is in the world, and you and I know it. I've already described it pretty extensively here in the different forms. And yet, I want you to know that evil is not in control. Jesus Christ is in control of the devil and evil in this world, and it can only go so far. And Jesus Christ just simply speaks. He speaks. Whatever the situation may be, Jesus is in control. He has power to save a sinner. He has power after you're saved to help you have victory over sin and evil and wickedness in your life. Satan tempts you. He doesn't possess you, but he tempts you. And you know what? You have the power through the Word of Jesus Christ to overcome sin in your life. Maybe not perfectly, But for the most part, you can live a victorious life. Now we live in an age that's absolutely terrorized, gripped with fear. And so many Christians today are just overwhelmed with fear. They can't live a normal life. This this COVID thing has just turned life upside down for them. Let me tell you, my friend, Jesus is still in control. Don't let fear dominate your life right now. Don't do that. That's not a good testimony. The Lord Jesus Christ is still in control of your life. On the first Sunday of the year, we gave out little uh, rubber bracelets. I've never taken mine off. I wear it everywhere, in the shower, everywhere I go. It says, press on in faith. On the first Sunday of the year, when we gave that out, I had no idea how much that would mean to me. Because I didn't know what was right around the horizon, right on the horizon. What was, I, I had no idea what was going to be happening in 2020. I didn't know we were going to have all these natural disasters, that we were going to have a pandemic, that we were going to have all this division in the country and riots and all the, all the stuff that's been happening. I had no idea. And often I look down at my wrist, press on in faith, press on in faith. You see, I have His Word, and faith is believing His Word, hearing His Word, believing His Word, acting on His Word, 
and leaving the rest up to him. And he is in control of all the forces of evil, from the individual demon to the evil that besets an entire culture today. The powerful words of Jesus Christ. But then go with me to verse 38. And so as soon as he had uh, thrown the devil out of that fella, and I wanted to point out something to you in the middle of verse number 36 before we go to 38. For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirits that they come out of him. That's really an interesting phrase. You see, there are two words in the Greek language, especially that describe power. One of them is exosia, and exosia refers to authority. It refers to the power of the president of the United States or a, a senator or a judge. It's just authority. It's not power to lift up a big stone or something. It's authority power. And then the second word is dunamis, which means physical power. The weightlifter can pick up 400 pounds, you know. It's that kind of power. Now, in that phrase right there, it's describing the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, with authority, exousia, and dunamis, power to be strong He commands the unclean spirits, all the kinds of power that are available in the universe the Lord Jesus Christ has. And so he leaves Capernaum, and he goes down then to uh, Simon's house, which is in the same city, Simon Peter, the, the apostle. Verse 38, he arose out of the synagogue. He entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother, Peter's mother in law, was taken with a great fever. A great fever. She is very, very sick. Infection rages in her body. And they besought him for her. And Jesus stood over her, and he rebuked the fever. He rebuked it. He simply spoke again. He didn't have to go to the pharmacy and get something compounded. He didn't have to call in a physician or a surgeon. He spoke because he has exosia, he has dunamis, he has authority, he has strength. In the physical and in the spiritual realm, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And in verse 39, he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. (laughs) I like the next phrase. Immediately, she rose up. No recovery period, no rehab center. She rose up, and it says she ministered to them. In the Greek, it says she cooked dinner for him. She served him. She ministered to him. She's as well as she was one as she was the day before she got sick because Jesus has power over disease. Stop. Are you terrified by the COVID virus? Do you believe that Jesus has power over disease? Well, yes, he does. And if this is a wonderful passage to encourage us today and to give us courage and, and, and to strengthen us to think that our Lord controls the unseen world of the supernatural, the demons and the wickedness, and he controls diseases, there's not anything that our Lord is not in charge of. He is the Lord.
whatever the situation. You know, I heard the other day that the single greatest factor in getting sick right now is your age. More than your health or more than anything else, it's your age. I mean, getting seriously ill. Now, we have those outliers. We have the 45-year-old football coach who gets COVID and he dies and he was healthy, and, but he's sort of an outlier. That's not happening much. But now when you get to people my age, the, the odds start going up. And I've had to have a little talk with Bill Monroe a few times because I don't know how many funerals I've had, and sometimes I'm in situations that are very uncomfortable, and I was in one the funeral tent, and people were packed in there, and it was 100 degrees, and I thought, oh, man, I don't like this, but I have to do my job here. But the thing is this, there's a verse over in Psalm number 31, verse 15. You better mark it in your Bible today. You may need it. Our times are in thy hands. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm not going to go until the Lord's ready for me to go. It may be with COVID. It may be with a heart attack. It may be a car crash. I don't know what it might be. It may be that my wife killed me. I don't know. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't say that in the first service because she was sitting back there. And she's probably watching in normal, please, please be kind to me when I get home. I don't know how I'm going to go, and you don't either. But I can tell you one thing. Dr. Lakin used to say, I don't want to go on the next load. Well, always got to laugh. It's kind of funny, and I don't want to go on the next load. The truth is, you don't have to worry about it. You're not going on the next load. You're not going until the Lord says, this is your load. Because he's in control of all that kind of stuff. Psalm number 91, and verse 3 right now is a great little phrase for you too. Surely he will deliver you from the pestilence. What is a pestilence? It's a plague. It's a disease. Am I telling you that nobody here is ever going to get sick? No, I'm not telling you that at all. That's a general pro promise, and we know, we know that there's a background and there's a way to apply the Scripture, but it tells me this, that our Lord is in control of demons and diseases. He's in control of everything, of nature. I don't even have time to get to it, but in the next chapter, Peter and all the apostles have been out fishing all night long, and they haven't caught one thing. And Jesus says to them, launch out into the deep, and you're going to fill up your nets. And they said, Lord, we've been out all night long. They fished at night on the Sea of Galilee, still do. And you don't catch the fish in the deepest water. You catch them in the shallow water. Jesus said, I, I know all that, guys. I, I created that water. Now, put your net in the deep water. And they did, and they loaded up the boat that was about to sink. So he's in charge of the fish. I want you to get it in mind that we're not alone in the universe, and the universe is not out of control this morning, that our Lord Jesus Christ, his word is so powerful that he's in charge. Now, what is the power, though, behind his word? Real quickly, the power behind his word is truth. You see, his word is powerful because his word is truth. 
He is the truth. He always speaks the truth. His word is truth. Everything about the Lord Jesus is truth. And the thing that makes his word so powerful is that it's always truth-based. Man, we need to hear that. We live in a world of lies, don't we? Spin and disinformation and exaggeration and deception and confusion. We don't know where to find the truth. It's, it's hard to find. And in this epidemic, that this pandemic we're going through, the news is so confusing, one thing one day and something else the next day. Jim Barry is not a person given to bragging, but he probably knows more about these restrictions and these guidelines than anybody I know. He studied the CDC website. And he studied the DHEC website. And he, he, he knows all the guidelines for our kids in school. And by the way, we haven't had a single kid test positive now for two weeks. So he's obviously doing something very right. And... Um, We've had a few sprinkled from time to time, but, but we've been really doing well. But Jim had been studying the website, and every time we have a question, of course, we call the people at DHEC, the state-run deal. And so he called them, and there's somebody we call. We know their name and number, and we called them, and they gave us a guideline. And Jim said, well, on the CDC website, it says something else. And, and the person, oh, oh, no, no, no. I know what's on the CDC website. And Jim said, okay, well, just, just get your computer out and go to the CDC website, and, and you'll see what I'm saying. And the person did, and guess what? Jim was right. And they hadn't had, a, they had no knowledge of it. Now, the point is this. Here you have two agencies, one of them a national agency and one of them a state agency, we are trying to depend upon them for guidance on how, what to do with our kids, and, and they're telling us two different things. Such is the world of man. Those are not bad people necessarily. Just such is the fact that our knowledge is limited and, and that so much of the time it's confusing. We don't know who to believe or what to believe, but we do know one thing we can depend on, and that is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, that when he speaks... It's always truth. And you see, the only thing God has ever promised to bless is truth. I've watched preachers try to be cute. I've watched preachers try through the years to be clever, to impress people with their intellect or their humor or their wit. And all of that may have some small sliver of importance, but the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, the only thing Jesus Christ ever promised to bless is his truth, divine truth. It's not my cleverness that's ever won anybody to Christ. It's not my intellect or my emotional story that wrings tears out of people's eyes. It may make a point, but the greater point is, God only has promised and pledged himself to bless his divine truth. I guess it was about 25 or 30 years ago, a philosophy came into the evangelical churches. And I read all the books on it. I won't give you the names of them, but I sure could. Because as a preacher at that time, sort of the early midpoint of my ministry, I was, I was struggling. What? What is the best way to reach people in this culture? What is the way to get hold of people and, 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 and see God really do something real? 
And I read those books, and basically those books, they said you, the pathway to get people to listen to the gospel is you've got to make people feel good about themselves was the bottom line of the books. So many of them. The whole movement was you've got to make people feel good about themselves. When they come to church and leave, they ought to feel good about having been there. And so ease off on sin. Man, there are churches that if you mentioned the word sin, they'd have to get a dictionary. They haven't heard it in so long. And it came out of that, that philosophy. Always be positive. Don't be controversial. Talk to people about their potential. Tell every little girl and every little boy. You can be president if you want to. Always, 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 it's that positive spin on everything. Kind of like going to your doctor, and the doctor gives you a pill and said, take this, it'll make you feel better. Well, doc, I want to know what's wrong with me. I don't worry about what's wrong with you. Take the pill. You'll feel better. Come to church. You'll feel better. But I want to know what's wrong with me. I want to know what's wrong with this culture. I want to know what in the world is wrong with the world. You don't need a feel-good pill. You need God's truth. And in a world that seems to be collapsing, you don't need a superficial, cute, clever preacher entertaining you. We don't need to put a smiley face on the gospel. We need to declare the Word of God with power as did the Lord Jesus Christ. James Russell Lowell again in the time of the nation's greatest crisis since the founders signed the Declaration of Independence, wants to every man and nation comes the moment to decide. In the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or the evil side, Truth is forever on the scaffold with the rope around its neck waiting for the release of the door to die. And wrong is always on the throne. Yet it's the scaffold that sways the future. And behind the dim unknown stands God within the shadows keeping watch over his own. God's keeping watch. The world's not out of control. God is still sovereign. God never makes a mistake. And Jesus said, I will never leave you, and I'll not forsake you. Now, if there's anybody here today and you're not a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you another little bit of truth. And that truth is that we're all sinners and we're separated from God by our sins. Jeremiah said our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could ever possibly know them? All you got to do is turn on your news when you get home and you'll see what's happening in the streets of America, the wickedness of the human heart. You'll see the depravity of man splayed right out there on the streets of our country today for everybody to see. 
And the other part of that news is that there's nothing we can do about it. That giving the wrong circumstances and environment, I might be a part of that too. That we're helpless. And our only hope is that someone from an outside, an outside party would come and rescue me. And Jesus Christ did that. The outside party came from heaven, became a man, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and offers salvation to those who believe in him, who put their faith and their confidence and their trust in him. The Bible says four times salvation is of the Lord. Four times salvation is of the Lord, meaning you and I had really nothing to do with it except to accept it, to believe it. He convicted us of our sins and our need to be saved before we were saved. And then he had gone to the cross and paid for our sins. And then he had risen from the dead to prove his power over sin. And then Jesus Christ invites us to believe in him. And he says, if you will, I'll give you eternal life. Now, that's the truth, brother. That's the truth. Have you trusted him today? Do you know him as your Savior and as your Lord? I'd like for you to stand with me to your feet quietly, if you will, please, reverently.